Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading for May 12th, 2020. Today, looking at the book of James, chapters 1 and 2. James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are scattered abroad, greetings. Consider it complete joy, my brothers, whenever you fall into various kinds of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces patient endurance. And let patient endurance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives it to all without reservation and without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. In fact, that person should not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his high position, and the rich one boast in his humble position, because he will pass away like a flower of the grass. Indeed, the sun rises with burning heat and dries up the grass, its blossom falls off, and its beauty perishes. In the same way, Also, the rich person will wither away in his busy pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures a trial patiently, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, because God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is dragged away and enticed by his own desire. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the lights, who does not change or shift like a shadow. Just as he planned, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Remember this, my dear brothers. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Certainly, a man's anger does not bring about what is right before God. So after getting rid of all moral filthiness and overflowing wickedness, receive with humility the word planted in you. It is able to save your souls. Be people who do what the word says, not people who only hear it. Such people are deceiving themselves. In fact, if anyone hears the word and does not do what it says, he is like a man who carefully looks at his own natural face in a mirror. Indeed, he carefully looks at himself Then he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of freedom, and continues to do so, since he does not hear and forget, but actually does what it says, that person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself to be religious, but deceives his own heart because he does not bridle his tongue, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled in the sight of God the Father is this to take care of orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Chapter 2 My brothers, have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ without showing favoritism. For example, suppose a man enters your worship assembly wearing gold rings and fine clothing, and a poor man also enters wearing filthy clothing. If you look with favor on the man wearing fine clothing and say, sit here in this good place, but you tell the poor man, stand over there, or Sit down here at my feet. Have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil opinions? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? 
but you dishonored the poor man. Don't the rich oppress you, and don't they drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who blaspheme the royal name that was pronounced over you? However, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show favoritism, you are committing a sin, since you are convicted by this law as transgressors. In fact, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point has become guilty of breaking all of it. For the one who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom. For there will be judgment without mercy on the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but has no works? Such faith can't save him, can it? If a brother or sister needs clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you tells them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but does not give them what their body needs, what good is it? So also, such faith, if it is alone and has no works, is dead. But if someone will say, You have faith, and I have works, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good for you. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. But do you want proof, you mindless person, that such faith without works is dead? Wasn't Abraham our father shown to be righteous by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that his faith was working together with his works, and by his works his faith was shown to be complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was also called God's friend. You see that a person is shown to be righteous by works, and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute shown to be righteous by works when she welcomed the spies and sent them out another way? For just as the body without breath is dead, so also faith without works is dead. This is the word of our God. In the book of James, it's a little bit different, um, wouldn't you say? Especially if you read through it and you see that there is no clear gospel Um, Here in the first chapter, we do have some references to God's goodness and what God has done for us, and we do have some some clear references to the the name and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, um, but not any really gospel to it. And that fits with the intended audience and perhaps fills us in a little bit on who the intended audience is. Uh, First of all, who is this, this James that is writing? It's not as far as we can tell, it's not James, the brother of John, um, you know, the two sons of Zebedee, that, you know, Peter, James, and John, kind of trio that Jesus often took with him, that James was put to death early in the book of Acts, like Acts chapter uh, six or seven or eight or somewhere right in there. Um, So that James is off the scene. There was also another James that was a member of the apostles, but we presume that it wasn't that James either. The James, who is the apparent author of this book, was the one referred to as the brother of Jesus, the, well, half-brother of Jesus at best. And that kind of opens up the discussion of, okay, what, do we, <laughs> what about the, you know, the Virgin Mary? Because there are some who would say that the Virgin Mary remained a virgin for her entire life. Um, personally, the references to Jesus's brothers and sisters, I think it would be a little bit of a stretch to translate that as cousin, because they have different words for that. And there's no reason to think that after Jesus was born that, you know, Mary and Joseph are married, Um, that Joseph had no union with her before 
the birth of Jesus, but then after they were married, they probably went back to their normal married life. And so the references that we have in the Gospels to Jesus's mother and brothers um, are probably referring to those children of Joseph and Mary. That is the most natural reading of it. And so the James that we have here is probably one of those James, one of those brothers and sisters, or half brothers, half sisters, because obviously Jesus didn't have a human daddy, um, but probably some of those siblings who came to see Jesus when they said, well, he's out of his mind. And they come to take possession of Jesus because Jesus had been teaching and preaching and driving out demons and doing all this stuff. And the people in the crowds are following him. And um, and if you look at your Bible, Gospel of Mark chapter 3 and again in chapter 6 has references to Jesus's mother and brothers. Uh, For instance, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is talking about... um, talking about Jesus and Beelzebub, um, reading in Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And then that's when the Jewish leaders come to him, and they accuse him of driving out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus is like, well, hey, buddy, (laughs) a house divided against itself cannot stand. And then as this crowd is listening to him, and this crowd is packed around him, and Jesus is having this debate with the teachers of the law, his mother and his brothers um, show up to take to take custody of him because they say he's out of his mind. Because during his ministry, his half-siblings did not believe him. And even though his mother um, had had seen him and had seen him grown up and had known all the fulfillment of the prophecies and even her own experience in, in carrying this baby that um, didn't have a human daddy, um, they all show up to take custody of him because they don't believe him and they don't want to be embarrassed and they don't want him in trouble. And when they show up, uh, down in verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And then if you fast forward to Mark chapter 6, um, Jesus is preaching in at, on the Sabbath day in Nazareth. In verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3, um, the crowd is, is astonished at him and they, they take offense at him. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And just the way it's phrased there, isn't this Mary's son? Um, and... We don't hear about Joseph, you know, Father Joseph, but we do hear about his brothers here, um, his apparent half-brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Um, so we presume that Joseph has passed away by this time, that that Jesus had functioned as a workman or as a carpenter during his 20s there in Nazareth, um, and that he has these brothers. The, the four brothers are named, jo- James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And that Judas, that third one that's named, is probably the author of the book of Jude as well. So during Jesus' ministry, his siblings are like, come on, we got a crazy brother. (laughs) This isn't good. We should go take custody of him. And we also have these unnamed sisters. Um, So that's probably the James that we have um, writing here, the book of James. 
he doesn't have to describe who he is besides verse one, that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the audience that he's writing to really drives the boat on the content of the letter. And that's always the case because, you know, you look at even what Paul writes, that Paul writes Galatians in a sweat to those Galatians, and he's writing to those Galatians whom he had just evangelized, who were on the verge of giving up their faith. Um, that's very different from Paul's letter to the Romans, where he is writing to an established church with multiple congregations there in Rome, and he is laying out his doctrine in a very methodical way, which is also different from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, where he had to leave town and he was he was really wondering how they were doing. Or, you know, one more comparison, the Corinthians, where he had ministered to them um, numerous times and really had to be very forward in correcting their their misperceptions. And you could say the thing, same thing about the Ephesians. He spent um, two years there in Ephesus ministering to them. So then when he writes to them, he doesn't have to rebuild that foundation. So the different audience and the different needs of that audience really really have to drive what is said and how how it's portrayed. Um, I even had this experience this past Sunday. Um, somebody texted me and said, hey, pastor, you know, I really like this part of that sermon. It really, really hit me. And that's what I needed to hear this week. And and that's the truth. Because when we, when we talk about the spiritual application of the word of God, um, the Holy Spirit does all the work, obviously. But we want to do the best we can to understand what scripture is saying, and also to apply that scripture to the specific audience that we are speaking to. That's the blessing and the benefit of a local congregation. And that is some of what makes um, a multimedia ministry or, you know, multimedia effort like, you know, like a podcast or a nationwide broadcast or YouTube channel. That's what makes multimedia a little bit more challenging because you can still convey good content and you can still have good applications, but those applications might not be the precise application that the local people need to hear. Um, Anyway. So that's the James that we have. That's the audience that we're writing to is probably people of Jewish background um, and people who call themselves Christians who are who have been instructed in the faith and who, from the letter, it seems like they're sitting back, and especially if you get into, into chapter three, they're sitting back and they're like, hey, I know the, the one true God. I don't have to do anything um, because I'm saved by faith. And that's the, that's the main point that he has here in chapter two, especially that, um, you know, chapter three, he says, you believe that there's one God, one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That is a clear reference to the, the Jewish, you know, creed, um, here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter six. And it's, you know, like a 12 or 15 verse selection. That's basically their confession of faith, kind of like our version of the Apostles' Creed, but for the Old Testament church or for the Jewish church. Um, And so that kind of clues us into, he is writing to a Jewish audience who have become Christians. And even in, uh, in verse one, to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad, the diaspora, the, those who are scattered. um, And, not just talking about Israel, like physical Israel, but probably a broader application to spiritual Israel um, with Jewish roots, <laughs> keeping in mind. Um, so then in chapter two, it, that really clues us into the fact that these, these Jewish Christians 
are sitting back on their laurels and saying, hey, I used to do all this work as a Jewish person. I used to do all this work and watch the Sabbath day and watch what you eat and do the sacrifice and everything. But now that I'm a Christian, hey, I don't have to do anything. I'll just believe that, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe that there's one God. Why should I even show up to church? Because I know these things. I know these facts. I know this truth. Um, and and don't don't my works get in the way of my faith? Some would even say. And so Paul's or James's example here in chapter two is the exact same example that we have Paul using in Romans chapter four, the example of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That was all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. And Paul clarifies that for us because if, you know, in Romans chapter four, that the Old Testament just said he believed him and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, Paul in Romans chapter four describes which which person is the application or the antecedent to each of those pronouns, that Abraham believed God and that belief was credited to Abraham as righteousness. And so James is James is dealing with the idea that Christians don't have to do good works. And it's true that good works add nothing to your salvation. But we do not by extension say, therefore, that good works are bad or that good works are unnecessary or that Christians don't do good works. We maintain this middle road, that good works add nothing to our salvation, but that good works are necessary, that they are not necessary for salvation, because adding that little phrase, that little clause for salvation makes them um, an aspect of our justification, that is our standing before God, but they are necessary because that they are the necessary fruit of a true faith. And that's James's point, that a true faith does works. The exact same way that, um, and the example of a fruit tree perhaps would be a really good example here. Because a fruit tree is a fruit tree exactly when it's planted. You know, like we're adding one to our, our backyard so that the boys can, have, boys can have some fruit in a year or two or maybe three, just pick it off the tree. And that's kind of fun, you know? Um, and it's a fruit tree, even though right now it just looks like a stick uh, with a little root coming out the bottom and a couple of leaves. It just looks like a stick, but that doesn't change the character of the tree. Now that tree won't be recognized as a fruit tree until the day it starts producing fruit and nectarines start falling from the sky. I mean, that sounds fantastic, but it's been a fruit tree from the very beginning. But the character of that fruit tree, the very nature of that fruit tree, and the the purpose and the benefit and the value of that fruit tree is seen in it giving fruit. And so that's James's point here at the end of Romans chapter two. And I guess we'll we'll spend most of most of our rest of our time talking about this um, because especially if you live in an area where you know pleasant young people on bicycles wearing white shirts, if they're guys, white shirt and tie and little black name tags, or you know girls in long dresses, um, the Mormon missionaries come to your house and they say we want to talk about faith. And they'll they'll pull out their big thick King James version with all the notes that they're that they've been sent out with, and they basically get like two weeks of training and then kicked out the door, isolated from their families for for two years, and uh, and they have to pay their own way in order to go knock on doors because they are told that their works complete or earn their salvation. 
And I mean, we, that's even aside from the entire discussion of the fact that they don't believe in the Trinity, so they aren't Christians. So as I said before, that anybody who truly holds to Mormon belief is going to hell because they are worshiping a false god. Anyway, they will show up at your door and, and they'll hear that, um, oh, by the way, I hear you're a Christian. Have you read, have you talked about faith? Have you talked about works? Have you read this part in James? And it's like the clincher, here it comes. Um, here's James, he's talking about works. And that God says, um, faith without works is dead. So you need to do works. And how do you answer that? Well, I think I've, I've, I don't know if I've mentioned it in this, in this podcast, but I have mentioned it in a couple different Bible classes that the end of James chapter two here is only, only, only unraveled if you follow the footnotes, because in your Bible, you'll have footnotes on these quotations. Um, Oh, and here in James chapter 2, verse 19, we had that, that quotation about, you believe that there's one God good. Um, even the demons believe that and shudder. Um, that, that James is talking, referring there in verse 19 to their confession of faith. And this attitude that said, hey, I learned this stuff. I can recite the creed. I learned my catechism at one point, And what else do I need to do? Do I need, even need to show up at church? Um, so anyway, sorry, interrupted myself there. Um, the example of Abraham and the example of Rahab can only be unraveled if you follow the footnotes. And you need to have that timeline in mind. Because when he's writing to this Jewish audience, he's writing with the presupposition and the understanding that they know this timeline and that they know the time and the, you know, the order of things in which he is referring. And so he says um, that faith without works is dead. Um, Verse 21, wasn't Abraham our father shown to be righteous by works when he offered Isaac his son in the altar? You see that his faith was working together with his works, and by his works his faith was shown to be complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, reading from the EHV translation here, I haven't haven't done a thorough study of the Greek here in James chapter 2 in a while. Um, and... I wouldn't, I mean, this is, this is very clear and very understandable as to its meaning. Um, and I think I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. There may be maybe a more strict way that, that adheres a little bit more closely to the verbs, but the, you know, the purpose of a translation is to communicate the meaning of the text. And this translation does a good job of that. And so, um, again, getting sidetracked, uh, verse 21, talking about the sacrifice of Isaac, um, that is like, Genesis 20, 21, 22, maybe. I forget. I'd have to go look that up. Um, but the quotation that he refers to in verse 23 is all the way from back in Genesis chapter 15. Um, and so the point that he's making is that Abraham was declared, Abraham, verse 23, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was also called God's friend. That happened before the sacrifice of Isaac. And so the point there, and it's the exact same order with Rahab, where the footnotes really bail you out and, and demonstrate um, what the real truth is that he's getting at, that, that the faith comes before the works and that the works flow from the faith, but that faith is only of any good and only is seen to be that faith when it is used in application. When, when Abraham offers his son Isaac or Rahab hides the spies, um, both of those things come after we see that they are believers, that they believed God, and that they are credited to be righteous in his sight. And so as we go about our day, the encouragement that we have here is that we do not take our faith for granted, that we do not see our faith as simply um, 
simply a body of facts and factoids and knowledge, but that knowledge is applied to life. That the Holy Spirit works through that knowledge to create a faith, and that faith wants to serve God in love and to serve neighbor in love as well. So as you go about your day, just take a moment and thank God for the faith that he has given to you and ask that he gives you another opportunity to demonstrate that faith and love to others. Thanks so much. God bless your day.